In the name of the one true living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heard me many, many, many times speak of the church fathers, and the fathers of the church were the bishops and influential theologians of about the first six Christian centuries, and we call this the patristic era. The fathers, as I said last week, are used as precedent. Uh, if you're a legal person, are stare decisis of what we believe even today. And you may know some of their names, for example, St. Ignatius of Antioch, St. Ambrose, St. Athanasius, St. Augustine, St. Jerome, and so on. Now, the fathers taught that there were several senses to Scripture. There was, for instance, the literal sense, what the passage means on the surface, just the facts man. And then there was, a little bit deeper, a moral sense, the ethical teaching contained in the Scripture. And there was a further deeper level, and they really loved this one, which was the analogical sense, where people and things in a story are symbols or analogies for other things. So I want to look at today's gospel from a patristic mindset, a mindset that is foreign to us, but if we drill down a little bit, we'll perhaps gain new insights into this most familiar of parables. Well, obviously, there is a moral sense to the story of the Good Samaritan, and most of the sermons, probably 99.9% .9 of sermons that you will hear on the Good Samaritan are from this ethical standpoint. And the parable is, of course, meant to remind us of the lack of care by the priest and the Levite, and that we should care for the poor in our midst, and perhaps even that we are those who pass by. But this is not a Aesop's fable. This is not only a morality tale. And when we go deeper into the analogical sense, St. Augustine points out that the, the, the meaning of the story is found in the very details. And I want to just very briefly this morning look at some of them. Verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Very interesting, this geographical detail. Does it matter? that it is Jerusalem and Jericho? Could it be Baghdad and Tehran or New York and San Francisco? Well, in Scripture, Jerusalem, of course, is the heavenly city set upon Mount Sion. It is the city of God. And Jericho symbolizes the earthly city, the city of man. And these two are seen in stark contrast to one another, a point that Paul makes in the epistle when he contrasts the dominion of darkness and the kingdom of the sun. And if you know your Bible, you will recall that in the conquest of the promised land by the Israelites, Jericho was that great city which blocked Israel's progress. And we must never forget that Jericho was ultimately toppled by a liturgy. That is the story of Joshua at the Battle of Jericho when the walls came a-tumbling down. 
In the parable, the man is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And St. Augustine says that this is to remind us of the story of the fall of Adam and Eve, of man's turning away from God in paradise and turning toward the ground and alienation from God. We are going in the wrong direction. And the consequences are immediate. He fell among robbers who stripped him of his garments and beat him, leaving him half dead. And that man is every one of us. Sin robs us of the riches of God, leaving us naked. Who told you that you were naked, God says to Adam in the garden, after he disobeyed God's only commandment. We found ourselves in opposition to God and in opposition to all the good things which God had provided for us. We find ourselves like Adam and Eve in the Genesis story, naked and wounded and half dead because we are robbed of God's glory. It's the human condition. What can be done about it? And by who? Verse 31 and verse 32. Priest and Levite pass by. I wonder which direction are they going in? Toward Jerusalem and away from Jericho or the opposite? The parable doesn't say. But it is very clear what they are, what they represent, and what they do. They are the representatives, they are the analogy for the Old Testament law. They both see the wounded man and they pass by. Now, if we were to only look at this at the moral level, we would see the failure of the Old Covenant, the failure of Judaism through lack of concern and hypocrisy to address the fallen human condition. And certainly there is an implied judgment in Jesus telling the story, but there's something more. Priest and Levite see the wounded man. There is a realization of the wounded broken state of our humanity, but can the law fix it or only see it? And truly, the old covenant can only point out the problem which it cannot fix. What can be done and by whom? Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. Who is the Samaritan? Well, from the standpoint of Orthodox Judaism, the Samaritans are the ultimate outsiders, seen as apostates because of a difference of opinion about where to worship the God of Israel. The Samaritans worshiped not at the temple in Jerusalem, but on Mount Gerizim, where Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac. Is Jesus saying here that the Samaritans are right and the Jews are wrong about where to worship God? No, he's not saying that. He's saying that sometimes our differences and divisions can obscure the more essential thing. Part of the human condition is to major in minors, to 
rearrange deck chairs on the Titanic, that is to say, to do something less important in the face of something more important. And in the case of the Samaritans, Jesus very often contrasts them with the Pharisees, who keep the letter of the law, but ignore the spirit. Remember that really weird encounter that Jesus has at a woman at the well of Samaria? She starts to engage with him in a theological debate about where to worship God, to deflect from her personal life. But Jesus rises above difference between Jew and Samaritan. He says, you worship what you don't know, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's the main thing. Verse 34. The Samaritan not only saw him, but had compassion on him and acted on that compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The Samaritan is the outsider who came near in this story. Who is the ultimate outsider who comes near to us? Jesus, the Son of God. God has become neighbor to us in Jesus, the incarnate Word, the second person of the Trinity. God made man, the Word made flesh. We call this parable the parable of the Good Samaritan. The term has become synonymous with care and concern towards others. But nowhere in this story <clears throat> is the Samaritan called good. The fathers point out that the Good Samaritan is Jesus. And what he describes the Samaritan doing is the very life of the church. The church is the inn. It is in the inn, in the church, that we learn the compassion of God, that we are called to act where our wounded and broken souls find healing and mercy in the outpouring of wine and water, in the giving of the two denarii, which suggests to us the two great sacraments of the church, baptism and Eucharist. Here we are taken care of until Christ the Good Samaritan comes again.